The Gospel According to John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Grism, where our ancestors worshipped? Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about it. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or, why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, 
The disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. As we step into the story here in John chapter 4, what I want us to notice is the way that John describes Jesus. He describes him as tired. He says after a long walk, Jesus was tired. And then John goes even further than that. He says that Jesus sat wearily beside a well. And why stop? Why stop to point that out? Why is that something that John makes sure is part of the story or the way that he sets up the context of this story for us? I think it's a point in... in again emphasizing that Jesus knows our humanity. It's an emphasis that John takes to say that Jesus knows what it is to step into our world and see the things that we face, to know the things that we walk through. It's tied to the statement that John also makes that Jesus had to go to Samaria. It's the statement where it says that Jesus had to get into Samaria and he was weary and he was tired in order to get into this space. And so it's this explanation to us that says that Jesus knows what it is to have a difficult assignment. He knows what it is to be worn out because of the things that he had to do. I also think that what John's pointing out here is he's setting up for us the, the weight of this conversation that Jesus is about to step into. Put another way, I think that by pointing out that Jesus was tired after this long walk and he sat wearily beside the well, I think it's this way of John introducing us to the story by saying that it took a lot of work to get into Samaria. It took a lot of work to get here. One of the things that, that we need to capture about what's, what's about to take place in this conversation or the context of this conversation, it, John points out for us is by, by telling us that the woman was shocked that Jesus was here asking uh, her for a drink because Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Not only that, but when the disciples arrive on the scene later on in the story, it says that they're shocked to find that Jesus was talking to a woman. And what we see is that Jesus is about to step into a racially, culturally, uh, gender-charged conversation. 
that this wasn't going to be an easy context that he was stepping into. But this was a very difficult space that Jesus was venturing into. But it is something that he had to do. This is a place that Jesus had to step into. Our God is a reconciler. Our God goes out of his way to bring humanity back to himself, but also to reconcile humanity with one another. One of the things that you see described in the New Testament, that it is in Jesus that hostility is brought down. That it's in him the wall of hostility is destroyed. And so I think that what John is, is portraying for us is that there is, the, there is a weight to this conversation. That, that, and, he, and that the work of reconciliation is ex, an extremely difficult work. And even though normally when Jews would try to get from one place to another and Samaria was in between them, they would usually go around Samaria. But Samaria is something that Jesus had to step into. When you look at the progression of John chapter 3 to John chapter 4, you will see that in, at the beginning of John chapter 3, Jesus, um, Jesus was in Jerusalem talking to Nicodemus. At the end of John chapter 3, Jesus is in Judea. At the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus is in Samaria. And at the end of this passage that we'll find ourselves in verse 42, you'll see the Samaritans describe Jesus as the Savior of the world. And so you see this progression and this movement of Jesus of going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the world. And similarly, when Jesus gives a command or, or, or um, charges the, the church with with going out and preaching the gospel, he tells us that this gospel and we, the church, will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I have found that in order for this good news to go out to the ends of the earth, we cannot get around Samaria. We can't sidestep Samaria, but this is a context that we have to step into. And in order to step into this space, we must do the exhaustive and exhausting work of reconciliation, where when Jesus steps into the scene, he is longing to bring Jews and Samaritans together, right? He points out to the fact that there will be a day where it isn't about Mount Gerizim and isn't about worshiping in Jerusalem, but about this recognition that we're all going to be worshiping in the same way, that we are going to find Jesus here amongst us. And so as followers of Christ, as following in his steps and the movements in which we see Jesus taking, we also must follow him in this work of reconciliation, of quite literally stepping into the land of our enemy. And what you see on display in Jesus is that he knew this woman and he knew her story and he knew her people. He knew everything about her. And he was so easily able to step into her world, hear her story, but also speak life into every area of her life. Listen, the work of reconciliation is difficult. It is extremely difficult work, but I believe as followers of Christ, to be ones that carry this message of good news, in order to carry this message to the ends of the earth, it means that we must step into the neighborhood of our enemies. 
that we must step into spaces that we might normally go around. I don't know if you've ever done the work of reconciliation. Actually, I think that you have. I think about all these different times that I have to step into the work of reconciliation. Sometimes it's with, with our boys. That what we are constantly attempting to do on a day-in and day-out basis is having the boys live well together. Is that what we're constantly having conversations about is will you share with them? Will you listen to them? Will you speak to them well? Because we believe that if we are going to reside in the same space together, if we're going to reside in the same home, then it matters how we treat and interact with one another. That work of reconciliation is constantly happening in my marriage, where Larissa and I are finding that if God is going to make us one, that we are going to become one flesh, then there's going to be all these different points in which our lives need to integrate. There's all these different points in which our lives need to find reconciliation and health and restoration. Within our families, we constantly make sure that we are pursuing health and wholeness and, uh, and, and life in our families. You, know, you probably walk through um, difficult conversations with coworkers, but you have those conversations because you know that in order for us to innovate and create and produce and work with one another, then we must be together. We can't have those points of fracture and friction amongst us, but we must do that hard work of reconciliation. Recently, or actually just over the past two weeks, it's been about hearing the story of Ahmaud Arbery. And it's been making, um, making sure to, to make time where I stop and I listen to the stories of my black brothers and sisters in Christ. And to hear the pain that they go through as they reflect upon the fact, here's another story where a black man was out doing a normal activity and it cost him his life. Not only that, actually hearing them describe the fact and lament about the fact and ask themselves the question, why was it that we had to wait for public outrage to get to a point, to a certain point, so that we would actually see justice and a conviction take place? that they had to wait months in order to see that happen. But that work, that work of reconciliation and the movement that we see Jesus do, the thing that Paul, I mean, excuse me, that John makes sure to emphasize is that this is a space that Jesus had to step into. He had to go through Samaria. And the followers of Christ, his disciples, came alongside with him. At the end of the story, what you'll see take place is you'll see Jesus... Um, talking about the harvest. He's talking about to, to, to his disciples. He's telling them that the harvest field is ready, but the workers are few. But, but the harvest, man, people are ready to respond to him. And by doing this, by, by talking about the harvest in the context of sitting in Samaria, what Jesus is doing is he's expanding the disciples' understanding of who they are meant to be in community with and who they are meant to be serving. Because right after Jesus says that in the latter part of this passage, he goes on, we go on to find out that the disciples and Jesus are going to spend a few days in Samaria. So normally on the front end, right of the story, we, we're told that the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritan. And so here's Jesus with a group of Jews who are now going to spend their days in Samaria, where the harvest 
field is at. What Jesus is doing is getting the disciples and, and, and getting them into a place where they are now going to be hearing the stories of people that were normally their enemies. Why? Because the work of reconciliation. Because the work of, of the gospel going out, that if the gospel is going to have these expanding circles of going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, then the church needs to know what it means to navigate every one of those lands. That we need to be a people that are able to step into all of these different stories and value each person that we encounter in these stories. I heard someone recently reflect upon the fact that, that, and you've probably heard this reflection as well, that Sunday morning becomes the most segregated time in America. But as I heard someone reflect on this, they were, they were reflecting on it from this context. That we find hope and assurance when our communities listen to and speak to the things that we're facing. We look for communities that are able to, going, to be, going to be able to speak to and bring encouragement and hope to the things that we are personally walking through. We, we, we long for the gospel to make sense for the things that we face in life. And I think that it is a tragedy that unfortunately we are segregated because we, we're longing to hear one another speak to each other's stories, but we're not finding that. So we have to then go to our own separate spaces. But I believe that as followers of Christ, we must be a people that if the gospel is going to speak to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, then it will also be this work of hearing and knowing one another's story. I saw this on display over this past year after Larissa preached. She, she stepped into to this major point of vulnerability where she reflected on what it was like to, to walk through motherhood. And after preaching this message and how she found the Lord meet her so powerfully in those spaces, she came down to the front of the stage at the end of the service and another mom came up to her and just thanked Larissa. And she said, I have never heard that kind of a reflection in a sermon before. And I was a bystander in this conversation, and I was just filled with so much gratitude that that conversation and that that example was given in a sermon. Because what it did for me is that I was able to see that there are things that I cannot speak to, but as a member of the body of Christ, that what, what is able to happen is that as we collectively are the body of Christ, that we are able as the church to be able to speak to the pains and the difficulties and the frustrations and the brokenness that our world faces. That if we are going to be the ones that, that are, are talking about the kingdom of God to the world around us, then we, we best do that when we look like the kingdom of God. And so all that to say that what I see on display here with, with Jesus is that he had to go to Samaria. And he had to speak to a Samaritan woman. And the culture and the people around him and even the woman herself, they were shocked. And they were surprised that Jesus stepped into this space. 
because it is something that people did not normally do. And because Jesus stepped into this space, you see the level of restoration, the levels of restoration that take place in this woman's life. What you see happen is Jesus does a healing work within her. He talks about that streams of living water that he longs to, to, to bubble up within her, that she might find life. He talks about her five husbands and he speaks to her intimate relationships. Actually, as people have stopped and they've, they've looked at this, this conversation specifically about the five husbands and have wondered about the context of this and, and the history of this. Because there's, there's a likelihood that this woman going through five marriages, or four marriages and now this new man, wasn't just because of her own brokenness. It's probably because there's these points in which she was rejected by some men in her past. And so here, Jesus helps her to walk through and be honest about her most intimate relationships. And he purposely arrives at noontime when this woman was hiding from the rest of her people. Because again, she, if, if she was connected with her people, she would have arrived at the well in the morning time when all the other women were drawing water from the well. But to make the decision to arrive at noon means that she was disconnected from her people. Now, because of the work that Jesus does in her life, she is going and being a, a heralder of the good news to the very people that she was disconnected with. And so Jesus does a work, a deep work of reconciliation between her and her people. And then even beyond that, Jesus does a deep, deep work of reconciliation between this woman and her enemies. She's shocked to find a Jewish man speaking to her. And so what Jesus does is that he breaks down wall after wall after wall that this woman has up. And, and he does this deep work of healing. As you look through this story, you would almost just imagine, man, if this woman had a pet rabbit and there was brokenness in their relationship, Jesus would probably even speak to that relationship. Because the work of healing and restoration and reconciliation that he does is so evident and it is so powerful. Jesus does an incredible work in this woman's life. to make Because our, our worship of God and the work that he does within us is connected to our relationship with others. And the work that God does in our life and for us to also be an ambassador and a messenger of who he is means that there needs to be this work of reconciliation that happens between us and others. That Jesus seeks not only for well-being within us, but for that well-being to, to permeate every relationship that we have. There's one of the things that John points out is that, that the disciples arrive back on the scene and when the woman runs back into her village, John says that she leaves beside a jar. And I'm so intrigued by that little description that it says that she left the jar there and went running. And listen, I can spend probably another, I can spend an hour on why that jar. What is John trying to point out about that jar? 
we don't have time for me to get into that, but I think that this is one of those areas where I think it's, it's worth exploring in conversation with the people around you. And so maybe in the chat thread, if you're watching live on Sunday morning, that you kind of give your theory. Why did John mention that jar and the woman leaving it behind? Maybe it's afterwards in our time in, in the virtual courtyard over our Zoom call where we can ask one another, why that jar? Why does John mention it there? Or maybe if you want to shoot me an email or send me a text message and, and we can have conversation with one another, why, why that jar? Maybe if you're listening on a, at a later time, you're watching later on our website or listening to the podcast, I, I would encourage you, press pause right now and ask, why does John mention that she leaves the jar behind? As, 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 I, as I think about that, I think John is, is an, just been an incredible artist and storyteller. I, when Lurse and I go into museums, I often finish the entire exhibit and then come back and find out that she's only on like painting number two or three. And she's sitting there and she's deep in thought and as I step into her world in those moments that she's sitting and she's contemplating why the artist is doing certain things why is that purposely there why is why is the artist purposely putting this shadow or this light or why are they putting that tree there right but it's with intentionality and I don't know if I'll ever be able to describe just exactly why John says that this woman leaves this jar behind I've got my thoughts about it I think that it communicates so much about the work that Jesus is doing in this woman's life but I want to leave it to you to have some conversation about it why that jar but let's wrap up this way. The story starts with a tired Jesus. And the story ends with a nourished Jesus. We're, we're told that he tells the disciples as they come back and tell them, Rabbi, you need to eat something. He says, I have a food that you don't know of. And, and we're also told, that again, at the very front end of the story, that he had to go through Samaria. So you have that, that, that comment. He had to go through Samaria, and then later on he says his nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And in those statements, what I find is, is that, that what he's doing is that he's expanding the disciples' understanding of what will bring them life. He's expanding their understanding of the work that will bring nourishment to them. And again, for them, the work that's going to bring them nourishment is stepping into a harvest field that they normally wouldn't have paid any attention to. One of the benefits that we find as we do this difficult, exhausting work of reconciliation is that we will find the nourishment of God there. That might not be our, our initial aim, that we are looking to see God and the message of the good news permeate every area and every neighborhood and every land around us. But one of the things that we'll see happen as a byproduct of this 
is that we will see the nourishment of our God. That as we step into these harvest fields, that I believe that we will see life within us. That I believe that that will, be, will bring joy beyond comprehension. See, there's two things that bring life in this story. At the front end, it's this embrace of Jesus, that this living water, this, this eternal life that would happen within her as she embraces Jesus. But stepping into this harvest field will also bring nourishment to the follower of Christ. That we, as we follow Christ, will recognize that we step into lands that we normally wouldn't, but we will find nourishment and that this will be a good space to us. When the Samaritans celebrate Jesus, they do so by having a description of Jesus that you actually don't find in any of the other Gospels. They describe Jesus to be the Savior of the world. And what I find in that is that by visiting them, Jesus shaped their understanding of the work of the gospel. It used to be about we worship on Gerizim, you worship in Jerusalem. But by their encounter with Jesus and, and his radical love, their statement now is a recognition this is a savior for the whole world. This is a savior for everyone. And now, as followers of Christ, our community and the people that we are called to be in relationship with are those for whom Jesus is the Savior of. He is the Savior of the world. 